Labor unions have been in the news for the past few months. But union activities, power, purpose, and membership may be much different than what we may generally perceive by just watching the news. The areas where they have the highest union density, auto, construction, um, steel, that's where there's been a great loss of workers. Um, they, you know, they had high density in, in textile and garment and um, shoes and all those jobs left the U.S. And what the, what the unions didn't do is they didn't, they, for a long time, they just represented their members and didn't go organize. But then starting. You mean didn't go to recruit? They didn't go to recruit. They, 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 you know, the, the workforce grew in the service sector and the high tech and all those industries. And they kept organizing. They kept taking care of their own members. The unions that did organize, healthcare unions, public sector unions, they grew and and they became very powerful political forces in this country. Did you know that the history of America's labor unions is tightly intertwined with the history of immigration? And did you know that among everything that unions fight for, including unions in heavy and traditional industries, unions also fight to protect the climate? Hey there, news peelers. Today is June 17, 2022, and this is Adele, the host of the Peel.News podcast. Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with distinguished professors and critically acclaimed authors who help us better understand our news and current events by providing some perspective from our past. We call this in the history behind news. Sometimes we find humor in what they share, sometimes it's a shocker, and sometimes they reveal a past that's offensive. Regardless of what they share, we're always the better for learning from our intellectual and engaging conversations with them. So the Peel.News is not for everyone. If you want headline news, well, you know where to get that. But if you want to explore how we got here, if you want to journey into what happened before these developments showed up as news on our TV and device screens, then grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and let's get into it. Earlier this year, workers at Amazon's largest warehouse on Staten Island in New York voted to join the Amazon Labor Union, which is kind of a grassroots organization that is founded by Amazon's own employees. The New York Times called their victory one of the biggest wins for organized labor in a generation. But Amazon is not taking this sitting down. They're fighting back. And according to NPR, Amazon has filed 25 objections to overturn the workers' victory. And it's not just Amazon's workers. According to the Wall Street Journal, about 275 of Starbucks company stores, out of a total of about 9,000, have filed for union elections. Trader Joe's employees want to organize into a union too. And anticipating its own employees' unionization movement, Microsoft says it is open and willing to work with labor unions. We're not used to hearing so much about labor unions in our news, right? But here we are. 
So what's going on? Why now? And more pertinent to our program, how do we get here? To better understand the history of labor unions in America, I spoke with Professor Kate Broffenbrenner. She's the director of labor education research at ILR School, the Industrial and Labor Relations School of Cornell University. She's also senior lecturer at the ILR School and the co-director of the Worker Empowerment Research Project. She's a co-author and editor of several peer-reviewed books on union and employer strategies, and she has testified as an expert witness at the Labor Department and congressional hearings and is frequently quoted in major news media. Professor Broffenbrenner is the recipient of many awards, most notably the 2020 George D. Levi Faculty Award for Outstanding Community-Engaged Learning and one of Cornell's highest honors, the Carpenter Memorial Advising Award in 2012. To learn more about Professor Broffenbrenner, her many projects and publications, visit her academic homepage, the link for which is provided in the detailed caption of this episode. So stay with me as Professor Broffenbrenner and I peel the history behind this news. Professor Bronfenbrenner, it is a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. Recently, unions have had some success in Amazon and Starbucks, for example, two of the largest and most iconic uh, businesses in our country. Before we talk about this development, what I want to know is, when was the golden era of unions in America? Depends on what kind of worker you were. If, if you were a white male uh, industrial worker, you would say maybe the 40s. If, if you were a um, black domestic worker, there has never been a golden era. Um, it's always been a fight. And maybe, you know, you're, to this you're, day? maybe now you're thinking it's going to be soon. Um, things are getting better now than they, they've ever been. Um, so um, the the times are different depending on where you stand. Um, you know, for public sector workers, the you know the the best times that you know have been more recent. Um, the labor movement is getting strong, has gotten stronger more recently. Um, so healthcare workers didn't get the right to organize in this country till the seventh till 1974. Um, so every set of worker has a different time where the labor movement got stronger in the U.S. That's really interesting that you parse it out like that, because uh, for most non-experts such as me, we're so used to watching movies and seeing movies about the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, uh, uh, sort of as the golden era where the power of unionization really grew. But that's only... History is written by white men. (laughs) that, That is true, especially since you break it down like this. It's really different uh, for white male than it is for uh, people of color. Um, with, the, with respect to the racial aspect, and we're going to talk a lot more about this later, do you think it's evening out now or is there a lot? Well, the majority of new workers organizing today are women of color and immigrants. And the labor movement is, you know, that's that's where the labor movement's growing. And um, it's a lot of new organizing is happening. 
And so the, the unions that are biggest and the unions are doing the most organizing are, you know, service employees, international union, Unite Here, the hotel and restaurant employees. And those unions, those unions have been growing for um, recently and they're very strong. And they, most of their members are women, immigrants, workers of color. Um, so they're, they're, they're strong. Is there, there's a perception that the power and presence of unions has diminished uh, in the second half of the 20th century. So I had that question queued up to ask you, but now that you provided this explanation and you parsed out unionization, I'm loath to ask that question. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you ask the airline industry, they certainly do not think of the flight attendants union as a weak union. The flight attendants union has been able to shut the whole airline industry down. That's a union of all almost 99% women, right? Um, that union not only did it shut down the airline industry, but that union was able to stand up to the um, American government, to the Trump administration, when the Trump administration wanted to keep out you know, Muslims, and it was able to say, you cannot lock out our country to all Muslims. And they're the ones who shut the airports down and the airports you know, they were going to just keep out all Muslims out of the United States. And it was a flight attendant who said, you can't do that. I remember that was early in Mr. Trump's administration. I think it was um, actually the first few months. Um, so why is it that it feels like, again, to non-experts, that we're hearing about unions a lot more now in the last three, four years versus in the last 20 to 30 years? And as I shared with you I mean, before we started, I used to be a teamster myself, but you wouldn't really hear about unions all that much in the news. Well, there's no question union density has declined um, and unions make a lot more noise than their numbers. Uh, the public sector union density is much higher. It's more than, you know, 30 percent. But union density in the private sector has, you know, slowly declined down to below 10 percent. And the reason the, the number of workers in the private sector has stayed the same, but the size of the workforce has grown exponentially. So unions have retained the same number of workers that they always have in the private sector, but they haven't been able to keep organizing. So for every, as, enough. So for every worker they organize, they lose that many workers in the, in the areas where they represent. So, you know, the areas where they have the highest union density, auto, construction, um, steel, that's where there's been a great loss of workers. Um, they, you know, they had high density in in textile and garments and um, shoes and all those jobs left the U.S. And what the, what the unions didn't do is they didn't. They, for a long time, they just represented their members and didn't go organize. But then, starting you mean didn't go to recruit. They didn't go to recruit. They 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 you know. The, the workforce grew in the service sector and the high tech and all those industries, and they kept organizing. They kept taking care of their own members. The unions that did organize, healthcare unions, public sector unions, they grew, and and they became very powerful political forces in this country. What's happened in the last in the last couple of years is those unions, you know. Those unions played a major role in the election of the, the you know, presidential elections, Obama and um, and Biden. Uh, you know, the most important states in the last election, Nevada and 
um, Georgia. It was SEIU in Georgia that played a very critical role. It was Unite Here in Nevada. And they turned the election. So they're very important politically. They've been very important on and during COVID. Um, you know, the COVID hit essential workers um, in healthcare, in meatpacking and grocery. Um, those were unionized occupations. So we learned a lot about how union workers were keeping us safe. They were feeding us. UPS drivers were getting us our packages from Amazon. Um, grocery store workers were taking care of us. Those were union workers. And then after they were taking care of us, then when they tried to, you know, take time off or tried to ask for more, some, you know, better benefits, their employers said no. Their employers who reaped incredible profits. And so these workers went on strike. And we had this strike surge. And the public supported the workers because those are the workers who took care of us during COVID-19. And so we had a strike surge with, and public support is above 68% for unions. And it, um, they are not supporting these corporations who made huge profits during COVID at the yeah, expense. Yeah, like Amazon, yeah. At, at the expense of the public and the expense of consumers and expense of workers. And then workers, workers, you know, we, we hear about the mass resignation, but the workers who can't, can't resign because they're low wage workers or essential workers, those workers are standing up and fighting. They're fighting, either they're organizing or they're going on strike. And that's what we're seeing with the strike surge and the organizing surge. We see it at Starbucks, which, you know, if you graph the organizing at Starbucks, it's like an exponential curve that goes straight up. More than more than a hundred Starbucks have organized. And, and that's been in the last three to four years, or maybe two to three no, years, no, right? That's less than a year. That's in six less months. Less than a year. Yeah. Six yeah. Months. It seems like it's been a long time. I want to make sure that I understand the history here, at least the part you explained correctly. It's not so much that union membership has diminished in traditional industries such as auto construction and steel those are the three that you itemized for me it's not that their union membership has increased it's that the workforce has increased in size and the union percentage has decreased because they haven't gone out and recruited aggressively for new membership am i paraphrasing that correctly the number of members has stayed flat but the uh -huh. workforce has gone way up so that their, their percentage of the workforce is, is become less. And also there are new uh, unions, not that new, I mean, decades now, such as in healthcare and others that you identified that have sort of come on and added to the traditional ones that we know from the industrial sort of uh, unions of the 1940s and 1950s, correct? Right. When those, many of those, you know, the SEIU was a janitor's union. It still represents janitors. It existed in the 40s. But at, at now, it, the, you know, we see security guards and janitors are a huge industry because there are all these office buildings. Yeah. Right? Um, where before there weren't that many janitors. Now, now the business service industry is a huge industry. Security guards, janitors. Um, and then we add to it healthcare which is one of the fastest growing industries as the baby boom generation, you know, is we're, and one of them, we're getting stuff. old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, why don't we take a short break and then talk about the economic impact of unions. 
Can the U.S. government monitor our mail? Can the government patrol bookstores, raid publishing houses, harass art galleries, and even burn books? Stay with me here. I'm talking about our government, not the government of China, Iran, Russia, or some other country with little to no regard for freedom of the press and freedom of speech. So can it? As it turns out, our government did do all those things. So much for the protections provided by the First Amendment, right? In Season 2, Episode 15, Professor Brett Gary of NYU takes us through the history of censorship in America. By the way, his book on this subject recently won a major award. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Professor Broffenbrenner. Professor Bronfenbrenner, have unions played a positive role in U.S. history? Well, you just have to look at Social Security, civil rights, workers' compensation. Almost every social benefit that you have is thanks to the labor movement. Um, Disability rights, any kind of civil rights. Unions played a role. We wouldn't have those things without unions. Unions organized for those for the common good. And they continue to do that for today. Um, today, you know, they they're they're the they're the ones out there organizing. They're now, you know, they're now fighting for climate change, um, uh, supporting supporting, you know, better schools, larger class, I mean smaller class sizes. Better Unions middle- are doing that? Uh, yes. climate change? That yeah. would that would uh, wouldn't that actually be detrimental to some industries? They're say- arguing that you they know that if we don't if we don't protect the climate, they're not going to be jobs for anyone. Are there specific unions that are doing this, or you know, I don't see steel uh, steel workers have played a leading role in the fight for climate change. It's oh, called wow. the Blue Green Coalition. Blue being workers, green environmental coalition. Tony Mizaki, who comes from the who came from the, the Chemical Workers Union, which merged from the Atomic Chemical Workers Union that came, merged into the steel workers, he pointed out that the worker that workers are the first affected by um, environmental disaster. That the workers are the ones, you know, the plant workers live next to the plants. If chemical, if plants cause environmental damage, it's the workers who are the ones who are first hurt by environmental damage. And so unions such as the Blue Green Coalition, do they get pushback and are they in conflict with, with let's say, with u- union members from the coal they, industry? They educate their members. And that's what that's what, the, you know, they they first do. They have they educate their members. The members understand and their members, do. their members, are the ones who are dying of cancer. Because of the, you know, because of leaking from the, the the plants, chemical exposure from, you know, they their members and their members' family get it. They have to educate. Now, unions argue for a just transition, but that the debate, but debate, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody hears about. So the mine, the miners want to keep doing coal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The miners also know they're dying from coal. But you have many, you have many unions who are arguing and moving into um, solar, solar energy. Um, who are part, who are, you know, 
um, trying to, they're arguing for green jobs. They want, they want the country to move into green um, energy. And you have, to, you have to remember also that we have the largest unions in this country are the service employees union, the public sector unions. Again, it's the mindset that the labor movement is, the labor movement is industrial and you know, labor movement, but the healthcare workers union, healthcare workers union is the, and the teachers unions are the two largest unions in this country. Those two unions are, are dedicated to climate change. Are there any statistics, any research to show that union creation, unionization, uh, and its recruitment have contributed to creation of capital? That may not even be an important metric, but I'm just still interested. Have, have there been any correlations with that or success of corporations? Is it wealth? Is it, are you measuring wealth? Are you measuring... Um, so do, do the CEOs make as much money when you have a union workforce? No. Probably not, no. No, they don't. But um, do our union workforces more productive? Well, productivity is a measure that I always I always teach my students. How do you do you measure productivity in terms of workers working faster for less money? That's not a we do we want that? If if workers work faster for more money, is there are there more injuries? Um, do workers, you know, how do we measure productivity? There's there, you know, is the quality of what's the quality of the product? How do you do that? And how do you do that in an industry such as um, in an industry such as um, education? What is how would you measure productivity? In education, I would I would measure I would measure the quality of the students who come out, right? Um, if oh, if, that's a good one. Of course, that's like the final product, right? Right. So if students, it's not, it's not, it's certainly not how many. It's not. You can't measure in terms of. You know, if students are coming out of, if students are coming out of, let's say higher education, if students are coming out of higher education and they're not able to, they're not able to go on and get um, jobs and, you know, they're unable to succeed. It doesn't matter how, it's not a matter of how much money the university makes if the students are failing. Now, the university might say it's based on how much, you know, how much tuition they're able to get. But if the students are coming out and they're failing, they're not able to go on and get jobs and succeed, then you know, what are we measuring? So yeah, university is charging a lot of tuition, now, but it's not necessarily coming out better for the students and their families, right? right? So right. it's very hard in the service economy to measure, measure that. But, you know, university might simply measure it based on how much money they're able to make. I'm interested in speaking with you about the societal impact of unions, and we'll get there. But before that, I have a... Uh, uh, I have another question that's separate from it. And what do we say to people who uh, allege, who claim that corporations and just America's businesses, if you will, do a lot better, have done a lot better because unions have been less active in the latter half of the 20th century. Based on what I heard from you, that's actually a misperception. It seems like unions have been very active. But again, how do we respond to that claim, well, so that allegation? The, the issue is who does, what, what is the definition of corporations? Because we know now that we take an Amazon or, you know, 
corporations, you mean Jeff Bezos does better or does Amazon do better? Because they're shareholders, uh, many, so many the, pension But again, funds. is it their shareholders or is it Jeff Bezos? Because, you know, the money in Amazon was going, Jeff Bezos was doing, a lot of money went to Jeff Bezos, but the shareholders might say if Amazon, if, if, um, if Amazon stock starts to go down because customers have a problem with Amazon, but Jeff Bezos keeps getting money, that's an issue. So, um, I mean, Amazon is, Amazon is not doing as well now as it was because, yeah. right? But Jeff Bezos is doing fine. Or they, you know, there's a, there's corporation, corp, CEOs keep taking a greater and greater share. Um, the comp, shareholders keep giving greater packages to the CEOs. So they're happy. CEO compensation is going up and up and up and up. Um, shareholders are, are there's a discontent among shareholders about um, you know CEO compensation. But um, they don't want they don't they don't want unions for all sorts of reasons, right? They don't want unions because um, of control issues. They don't want unions because um, they just they don't they don't get to do what they want to do. And then there are issues about profits. Those are two different areas. Unions, union workplaces, um, union workplaces are more likely to have health and safety regulations, make them follow health and safety regulations, more likely to follow um, environmental regulations, um, more likely to have, have questions, shareholders ask questions about CEO compensation, um, SEC make them follow SEC regulations. Um, so th there, there's more sunlight um, sh shining onto what a CEO does when there's a union. So there's the there are two angles to look at this two ways. One is the bottom line profit, uh, whether or not unions dent that a bit, and the second thing is how much. Uh, freedom, uh, how much, you know, CEOs have to do what they want to do. And your position is that when unions come in, they actually uh, provide a lot more visibility into what happens within within uh, a large corporation, including such as Amazon. And they also sort of hold their feet to, to the fire, right? And it could be better for investors. Unions could be good for investors because they could make it so investors might... Um, Investors might feel like it might control bad behavior. Sure. Are there cases that have 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 proven that case? This scenario. Well, European European investors feel that in you know feel that in Europe that unions haven't necessarily been bad for them because you know they they do there there are these rules and procedures where unions have operated and they haven't they. They're able to they're able to see they're able to operate and see what um, there there's a much more they're able to operate in cooperation with the unions and see what's going on in the U.S. There's a sense that that there's a right to manage free from any constraints at all any restrictions any constraints and there is a feeling that our labor law is absolutely illegitimate that. Um, that capital feels like they should not have any restrictions whatsoever. And you see that in the reaction to um, from Amazon and Starbucks and now more recently Trader Joe's to the idea that they have to deal with um, the National Labor Relations Board. 
Um, and that's not the case in countries such as you and I talked about this during the break, such as Germany, right? And the corporations seem to do fine over there. Right. Corporations do fine, and they accept the legitimacy of a union. When those corporations come to the U.S., they act the same as U.S. corporations. Interesting. Are unions part of, um, let's say, um, board membership or uh, the C-level at any of these European corporations? In Europe? Yeah, yes. in Europe. They have laws that, they have laws that say that um, in certain industries, certain sectors, in the industrial sector, they have laws that say that unions have a right to a seat on the board. Oh, that's wild. Wow, that's interesting. We'll be back after a short break to talk about societal impact of unions. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the Peel.News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. And thank you. Historically speaking, have American unions had an impact on society? We touched on that a little bit. Um, uh, I'd love for you to, to detail that a little bit more. You know, we can get into gender, race. Uh, you talked about uh, immigrants. For a long time, the labor movement, you know, reflect, labor movement reflects where we are. For a long time, when the labor movement was, um, you know, in more the industrial labor movement. You know, the labor movement has always been um, an, an immigrant labor movement. So when the labor movement was an industrial labor movement, the labor movement represented many immigrants from Italy and Eastern Europe. And now the labor movement um, is a labor movement of immigrants with, you know, immigrants from Latin America and um, Africa. And, um, and the labor movement has fought for immigrant rights in, throughout its history, and it is now, you know, championing. The, um, it has been the leader in fighting for the rights of, um, you know, immigrants um, coming up from the border from Mexico and um, um, uh, Central America. And it was, you know, during World War II, the labor movement was fighting for immigrants coming from, you know, Europe. And that's so just, but that's what you mean by we flex where we are. That means where is the need to represent they, more? I see, yeah, I where see. are they coming from? Yeah. And, and what's interesting about it is, you know, the, when we think about auto workers today, we think of auto workers as, you know, these great middle class jobs. But when workers, when auto workers were organizing in the 30s, those were the low wage jobs that we now think of as we now think about in terms of nurse aid jobs or um, janitors' jobs, but it was unions that turned those into good middle-class jobs, and so those, those were the entry-level jobs that immigrant workers took in the '30s, and unions turned those into the good, you know, jobs that you could buy a home with. And now, you know, the service employees union is turning janitors' jobs in New York and LA into, you know, the auto workers' jobs of today, 
and SEIU, you know, is also turning, and the hotel workers is turning hotel housekeeping jobs into those jobs um, today. So that's how unions turn the, you know, low wage entry level jobs and for immigrants into the good jobs of tomorrow. And who knows what the immigrant, who, what, who knows what the entry level jobs will be, you know, 20 years from now. So based on what you're uh, describing, unions have had an impact by uh, sort of elevating entry-level jobs into middle-class jobs. Although with, the res- with, with respect to the auto uh, industry example that you were sharing with me, in the 70s and the 80s, there was a narrative that Japanese cars were better, were, were cheaper because, Amer- and this sort of continued into 2005 or 2006 when General Motors went bankrupt and they blamed it all on unions because it was, you know, it was so expensive uh, uh, to produce a car in America. Has that changed uh, the well, union it's been, it's interaction? Been unions have not, so to, to take on global competition when, um, when companies start to threaten to shift work out of the country. So when workers go to organize, when capital became more global, when workers go to organize, the majority of corporations the threat is if you organize, we're going to shift work overseas. So in every global industry, and I studied this in my research, the majority of corporations threaten to shift work when workers organize. And they do shift work when workers try to organize, whether it's in manufacturing or um, IT, that's what they 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 do. And becomes it becomes very difficult to organize when workers are faced with losing their jobs if you try to organize. And the way, only way workers can over, unions can overcome this is if they organize globally and they have to not just organize workers here, but they have to organize workers wherever the work is and do a global organizing campaigns. And unions are, unions are figuring that out. It's much more difficult. It's much more expensive. It's much, you know, you have to build a global labor movement and, um, and some unions have done that better than others. The steel workers, have, have built have built a they have a global union they 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 actually they 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 bargain you know they have a rubber council a steel council um, an aluminum council they try to bargain and organize more globally and they've been able to they've been able with bargaining to do that more effectively so the employer can't threaten to undermine bargaining the same way they haven't been able to do that with organizing as well but then when they do strikes they've They've done global strikes all at the same time. When you know, we talk about take- global uh, labor market, and you just said mm-hmm. global strikes, how is that possible when some of the biggest producers of different industrial or even consumer products, such as China and now Vietnam and Cambodia are in there as well, uh, are not democratic countries? Uh, are there unions in China? There are, there are state unions in China. Have they been able to, but the, you know, workers in China do go on strike. They go on strike despite the, the risks. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but, but I can give you an example. I'll give you an example of how, um, so, uh, the, of how this happens. So would, so for instance, in, in rubber, um, the steel workers, they organized it. They would. They organized from the raw materials. They organized in Liberia. They organized the, the rubber workers who actually get the raw materials of rubber in Liberia, and then they also organized the tire 
the tire manufacturers in South South America, and then they organized, and then they organized the the, the you know they'll organize the plants here in the U.S. and Europe, and then they also organized the workers and the tire distribute tire distributors in you know the stores around the country here, and all of those workers joined together, and you could have you know they had actions, they had actions all at the same time all across you know in 84 different actions all at the same time that that can put pressure on a company that's that's a huge organization i mean uh, what union was it was a specific union in the u.s responsible for that that's united, the, united steel workers united steel workers which is then which is then also tied with unite the parent union unite in britain is the, this is very impressive when, when did this happen well, this has happened. It, it happened in it happened in two thousand four. It happened again more recently. And it, they, the steelworkers and the, the rubber workers council has done this. Steelworkers have done this with steel. They've done it with aluminum. This they they have they have because I said they bargain globally. Yeah, yeah. Um, the auto the um and you know there's been an effort to do this with um with to do similar things with Amazon, to do organize globally with Amazon, to do this with retail, with Walmart. And this is what this is how this is the only way that Walmart is going to be organized or Amazon's going to be organized. It's going to have to be done globally because these are global companies. Yeah. Um, talking about societal impacts of unions, one of the things that I was also interested in is corporate culture. Um, we talked about sort of the financial aspects of corporations, their, you know, their profit and what have you, whether or not unions impact that. What I'm interested in is have, has union presence impacted corporate culture, especially for bigger corporations? And if so, how? Right, all we have to do is look at Starbucks. Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone thought that Starbucks was the, the the myth was that Starbucks was this great place to work. Th that's what I thought. Yeah. That right. they take care and, of their employees and, and you know that and it was a, a place that you know was going to stay non-union forever. And you know, and the workers were happy. And we find out that that was a branding. That wasn't that wasn't the corporate culture, that was just branding. But in fact, workers were very unhappy at Starbucks. And um, the branding was that these were young workers who were happy there, that they were there, they were there only a short time. Um, and we find out that in fact, the workers had, were connected with each other separate from Starbucks and they weren't happy there, but they have now changed the culture of Starbucks. We find out that, that the workers at Starbucks are, many of them are activists, they're involved in, um, Democratic Socialists of America, they have huge college debt, and they're a, a generation that is very affected by climate change. They, you know, they're worse off than their parents, and that they they have become they have become activists, and that COVID-19 affected them greatly. And um, they have now changed the culture of Starbucks to be an organizing culture, a politically active culture. And they're organizing all across the country. Hundreds and hundreds of them have now organized. Thousands of them have organized. And, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of stores have organized. Thousands of workers have organized. And that they have changed the culture of 
Starbucks to be a union culture, which. But that's still a small percentage of the overall stores. Uh, well, I, I would say that, you know, the, the number of petitions has is quite high now. So it's not it's not it was a small percentage and no longer is a small percentage. Um, and they have shifted it so that Starbucks is no longer known as Starbucks is no longer known as this great place to work. Yeah. They changed the culture. Do you think it's also changing the way uh, Mr. Schwartz and, you know, his, his, his uh, looking for someone to replace him soon, uh, um, the way he operates now, the way the, he handles boardroom meetings and the way he, you know, the person that is supposed to replace him. I mean, investors, I mean, he got challenged by investors. On union related issues or. Yeah, I mean, there was an. I mean, it, the resolution didn't pass, okay. but more than a hundred investors filed a, a motion to change, you know, to challenge how he was handling the the union issue, which never happened before. And that's significant. Uh, mm -hmm. It is, um, and they, and I think that, and of course he he also he is you know he changed his pay structure. He, he's responded by he's tried to he's tried to stop the union by changing the pay and changing the conditions it hasn't worked it yeah is. he hasn't he personally went to union meetings i think in the east coast uh several months ago um and now we see and then we and then we see this decision by microsoft which in trying to acquire activision um has you know issued this memo saying well you know we don't think our workers need a union but if they really do decide to go forward with the union we will respond respectfully. We are not going to oppose the union. And they, they're doing this because they need the government to allow them to acquire activism. But the fact that they're even coming out and having to do this is... It's, it's a big deal. It's it, a big deal. They see the trend and they don't want to be on the wrong side of it. Um, we all, When we think of union membership, we always... We often think of, again, non-experts such as I, we think of sort of blue-collar workers, but I can think of teachers, and you just talked about Activision. There's a there's a substantial sort of number of white-collar, if you, if you will, professionals who are in unions. Is that a growing movement? We see a big growth among nonprofit workers, higher education workers, and white-collar is a funny term. I would just say, you know, there's the growth is you know, growth among service workers, um, nonprofit workers, high tech workers, um, pink, gray, white collar, every collar you can imagine. <laughs> so few of us wear white collars, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, workers, not the stereotype of who is in a union disappeared a long time ago. I mean, it disappeared in the 70s. Those are not relative, uh, relevant descriptive terms for union membership anymore. Good. Let's take a break here. Stay with me and Professor Brenner as we get into the perspective. The History Behind News podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And remember, don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the History Behind News podcast.
Professor Brothenbrenner, some of the recent unionization victories seem to come from grassroots movement rather than sort of enjoying the full support of the bureaucratic power of established unions. Uh, if that's the case, is this uh, a new trend or will more established unions uh, join, join this trend? If you're speaking about Amazon, or, mm -hmm. um, yes, there's, you know, organizing the organizing because they happened without the institutional power of the union, but they depended a great deal on financial support from those unions. What we, all, what we do see is a great many worker centers and independent efforts by foundation-supported um, movements. What do you now, mean foundation-supported? I mean non-foundation, corporate-funded foundations. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. So worker centers are funded by foundations. They're, um, most of these are workers who can't join unions because um, they're in occupations that um, are not covered by the National Labor Relations Act. We have a great many of workers who are independent contractors or are in, um, you know, or domestic workers or agricultural workers who are excluded from the act or, in, or work for work in, um, um, in structure, employment structures that are so diffuse that they can't easily work, they can't easily organize under our, our labor relations law structures. And, and so they join through, organize through um, um, non-governmental organizations that are funded by uh, called worker centers that get money from foundations who help support them. And um, they still want to organize. They still want to get. They want to. They they want to um, organize either by occupation or by community or to help protect them. You know, protect their labor rights. But they are not able to organize in a traditional union because they're not covered by our labor laws. Going back to the Amazon example and also, I guess, the Starbucks example that we talked about earlier. Well, Starbucks um, is a traditional union. Traditional union. Okay. But yeah, Amazon is not. CIU. Yeah. And Amazon is not. Could you just enlighten me again about why it is that the Amazon, the unions that, that is starting taking root in um, Amazon is not a traditional union? Okay. So... There, there are many efforts going on in Amazon. Um, in Bessemer, Alabama, that's the United, that's um, retail wholesale department store union affiliated with the United Food and Commercial Workers. That's which is a, a traditional union. Traditional union. Yeah. Um, we have efforts going on in Chicago and um, in LA that are um, that are efforts to organize Amazon outside the traditional labor relations atmosphere through worker centers. Because they feel like they're not they're not ready. It's not possible to organize Amazon through the National Labor Relations Board yet because the workers aren't ready to. Then we have the Staten Island, which is an yeah. independent worker bottom up organizing effort that was led by um, a worker who was fired by Amazon. Um, who they decided to do a, a grassroots bottom up organizing independent. They did one election. That that they were they won a, a huge victory. It everyone everyone affiliated with the labor movement was celebrating it. The first victory against Amazon, despite and Amazon's uh, opposition, vigorous opposition to it. Vigorous opposition. Amazon did committed numerous unfair labor practices through everything they could. Same things they did in Bessemer, and they won. 
They had a second election at a second Amazon, a second um, Staten Island warehouse across the street, but a different workforce, not led, not the, you know, different, the workers who did the first one didn't come out of there and they lost it. Part-time workers, different issues, and they lost it. Partly, I think, because, um, you know, they were it's just, you know, the workers who led it were not, didn't come out of this the workforce and because um, different workers, different issues. But the victory, the victory they won was huge. It was, yeah. It was huge and it had an inspirational effect on workers all across the country. It caught, you know, um, that combined with the Starbucks victory has caused petitions at the National Labor Relations Board to go up 57%. Um, organizing is up the highest it's been in decades. And um, Amazon, Amazon is shaken. Amazon's so shaken that they've actually filed charges against the National Labor Relations Board for being biased against companies. And oh. they, they filed charges against Amazon, Amazon um, NLRB saying the NLRB is biased and um, was unfair. And, you know, and they filed numerous charges against the NLRB. And the union is saying the union committed unfair labor practices and they're going after the union. They're not accepting the victory um, of the union. And Amazon's very much on the defensive. Do you think um, we'll see more? Well, the challenge action. is that that's an organizing victory. It's they 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 still have to go and win, uh, get a first contract. And um, and for that, they are probably going to need the support of the broader labor movement. It's one thing to win an organize. It's one thing to win an election because an election, you can the NLRB can force a company to come to an election, but the National Labor Relations Board does not, cannot force a company to bargain. That's the next step. That's the next. You think that'll happen, based on what you're telling me about Amazon's opposition? To that, for to do that, you have to organize more Amazons. You have to. You have to do a full force escalating campaign, figuring out, you know, putting pressure on Amazon's profit centers and growth strategy. You have to interfere with the company's power. And to do that, you, I think you need Boy. the institutional labor movement. You think that'll happen? You think we're moving think towards that direction? The labor movement is there ready to help. And I think it's, I think it's probably going to take winning in other Amazons. Okay. If you wanted our audience to remember just one point after everything we've talked about, about unions, what would it be? Just one point. Workers want unions. And no matter what employers do, no matter how hard employers fight unions, workers are always going to keep organizing. And do you, uh, do you include uh, contract workers and and workers in the gig economy in that definition of workers. No matter where you go in the world, and you know how how aggressive the opposition is, how hard corporations beat down workers, workers keep trying to organize, and it's because workers want to have a say over their conditions. Yeah, and workers workers keep standing up and fighting. And it's not it's not about money. It's not about benefits. It's about wanting respect and an independent voice and wanting just wanting to have a say over their 
you know, terms and conditions of rights on the job, but it's mostly by wanting to be respected. And because employers disrespect workers on the job and human beings want to be treated with dignity and respect. And that's why workers want to That's the story that's been going on since at least the Industrial Revolution. I mean, in modern time history. In the, time immemorial. Time immemorial, yes. Time immemorial. Professor Broffenbrenner, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. You're welcome back to the Peel.News anytime. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject, please share it with us and tell us what's your perspective. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At the Peel.News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research, and we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit, to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here at the Peel.News. We peel the news for the history behind it. And our mission is not to provide a complete account and analysis of the past, rather is to highlight some issues and incidents in our history that may poke and prod your discerning minds into seeking some perspective to our news. And if you disagree with our take on history, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments about this episode right on our homepage at www.thepeel.news. Just click the email icon in the lower right corner of your screen. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele, the host of thepeel.news, 